The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. That's right, Bear Down Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and boy, oh boy, ladies and gentlemen, whoo, same old shit. Yep, I'm, I'm cursing all over the place. I cursed last week, I cursed this week. What I say last week? I'm scared shitless, and I... S- there it is, and that's exactly why, because the Chicago Bears, guess what they did? They bared it up. They did it in the worst way. Danny Parkins is our guest this week. Excited to talk to Danny. He is going to be joining us here in just a little bit because there is plenty to discuss. I'd love to get his perspective on this because there was so many issues with this game. And look, I watched this game and it was well within hand. And and so you watch the fourth quarter kind of depressed and, and that visceral anger and frustration and agitation that you had, it wanes a little bit. So I do the Not Your Average Bears post-game show with Lester Wiltfong. And, you know, there's an opportunity to try and be objective and to try and look at things because you had some time to wind down a little bit. And I was kind of hoping that that was going to carry over into this podcast because, you know, look, I'm, I'm in my 40s. I shouldn't be getting this worked up over a football game. And, and and this is what happens, where you kind of sit there and you're like, all right, I'm getting over it. And then, you know what I'm going to do? I'm blaming Lester Wiltfong for my adjective today. And you want to know why? Because if I was just a fan where I got to watch the game, piss and moan, and be angry like the rest of you, and then, you know, get on with my life on Monday and put that in the rearview mirror. But you know what I do? I go back and I watch this stupid game and I watch the offensive line, and I watch the defensive line because I've got this podcast to do, and Lester offers me an opportunity to expand my role at Windy City Gridiron, which I was excited about, but that forces me to write more content about this team and think about this Packers game more. And when I finally had calmed down and woke up and my day was reset Monday, and I start looking at the numbers and the statistics and just really looking at this game plan, my ah, oh, 
the, the heart rate went up and I, I just was pissing and moaning. My whole day, I was agitated the whole day. I was actually asked, what's wrong with you today? I think it was damn Chicago Bears is what's wrong with me today or yesterday. You know, Wednesday morning is when this podcast is coming out. And this is the problem with this team because for some reason we still have hope that this team is going to figure it out. Oh, in polls we trust. And I put out a poll to see if in polls we trust is still a thing. It took one game this year for about 60% of the fan base to be like, this guy may not be it either. Now, Ryan Poles was in a bad situation when he took over this team. And I think it's pretty clear that he did not think Justin Fields was it. But Justin Fields gave him hope last season that he was it despite having nothing around him. So now he's got the quarterback, but he's got to try and rebuild the roster on the fly. And that's a not, I can't think of any regime changes after you drafted a quarterback and blew out the regime after their rookie season. I can't think of that happening. If it does happen, it's because the rookie is so bad that you're not going to keep him as your quarterback and you fire everybody. But the Bears fire the head coach and the GM and keep the quarterback. That doesn't happen. But because George McCaskey mishandled this thing, puts Ryan Poles in a bad situation. I'm not excusing Ryan Poles for some of these decisions and what has happened and now what is on the field, Chase Claypool, I'm looking at you. But it doesn't change the fact that this is an odd way to rebuild a roster, and he's doing it the best way he can, but there are questions about this roster that we are going to discuss here, you know, in these first few minutes and with Danny Parkins. But I got to start with the coaching because there was total, total failure by this coaching staff for this game on Sunday. I mean, what did they do right? Because Matt Eberflus, he did not have this team ready to play, period. I don't know why that's the case. This is your rival. This is you know supposed to be your breakout season. All these moves, the draft picks, the free agents, Justin Fields, big breakout season, all this hype. This team should have been ready to go. And I don't know what happened in training camp. We don't get to know a lot about these injuries and what's going on. Nobody seemed to play. This offensive line hasn't played together at all. Defensive line sat out pretty much all at training camp. None of these guys had any practice. You know, your body has to get used to football season. It, it, you just don't flip a switch. You, you need to be hit. You, you, your body needs to adjust. It's a violent sport. There just wasn't an opportunity to do that in training camp. Know if that was the issue? There were so many issues with this performance. But Matt Eberflus was not ready. And I gave Matt Eberflus the, just the benefit of the doubt last year. They didn't have the horses. It is what it was. Tough to judge a coach when there's just no talent on the field. So you just kind of, you get just give him last year. This year, you're off to a bad start, Matt Eberflus. One, as the head coach, you didn't have this team ready. Two, as a defensive head coach, because you've got a secondary that I would say is no worse than league average. You've got good players at all five positions. You've got a linebacking core that better be, with the money you spent, better be a top 10 linebacking core in this league. You have a bad defensive line. But at that point, if you're a defensive-minded head coach, that is enough pieces. If you gave those pieces to Bill Belichick, and no, I'm not saying Matt Eberflus is Bill Belichick, but if you go gave those pieces to, to Bill Belichick, he's going to have a good defense. Matt Eberflus and Alan Williams don't know what the heck they're doing on defense. And I've always been frustrated. I was frustrated when they hired Matt Eberflus about his defensive line mindset. Matt Eberflus never brings pressure on the quarterback. Never. Just go, go look at pressure numbers when he was the defensive coordinator of the Colts. 
Just not there because he loves run stoppers on his defensive line. They never get to the quarterback. I didn't like that out of the gate. That's certainly where they are here. They got rid of anyone that had the ability to get to the quarterback, even if it's not very good. It's still better than the rest of these guys on this roster. And now they've got Yannick Ngakwe to get after the quarterback. Maybe Demarcus Walker a little bit internally when he gets bumped onto the inside. And nobody else. Dominique Robinson has no business playing. You know, he really shouldn't even be active on Sundays at this point. He just doesn't have, he had a bad rookie season after that that 49ers game, which was a weird game because of all the rain. He did nothing the rest of the year, and he was a no-show yesterday. Justin Jones, also a no-show yesterday. Andrew Billings, he can stop the run, which is why you should have him in at the goal line when the Packers are on the one-yard line and clearly going to run the football. If you watch that Aaron Jones touchdown, you'll see Zach Tom come down and just handle Jervon Dexter pushes him a good yard or two, and just clears a giant hole for Aaron Jones to waltz into the end zone. Why isn't Andrew Billings out there? I don't understand. I don't understand what the thought process is there. When you have a good back seven, which is what this defense is supposed to be built on right now, how is that the defensive play calls you're making on third down? You've got a young quarterback who is going to make mistakes if you force him to. If you force him to make quick decisions, he's going to make mistakes. They gave Jordan Love all the time in the world. They had one sack, and it came after five seconds of holding the football. They couldn't bring pressure, and they just did a weak, weak, soft defense that Jordan Love was able to just pick apart. Some of these guys were open, like Mitch Trubisky against the Bucks. Those receivers that he just was, was hitting all over the place were open by 10 yards, that's what Jordan Love had to work with, especially on third down. Jordan Love's third down numbers were fabulous, and I will give him credit. He made the reads and delivered the ball, but he did not have to thread needles. He did not have to do a lot of the things that NFL quarterbacks have to do because the Bears gave him a free pass, because Allen Williams and Matt Eberflus gave him a free pass with a weak, weak-ass play call for the defense and scheme and game plan for this defense on the offensive side of the ball first let's start with the offensive line the offensive line should improve should should i'm impressing should improve throughout this year because darnell wright should keep should continue to get better darnell wright really up and down first game which is fine because he's a rookie he's gonna have that he had some good reps he had some bad reps rashawn gary worked him on multiple occasions and that's fine because Darnell Wright rookie tackles take a little while he's gonna get better throughout this season and hopefully next year is when he's really established as a very good right tackle that's the hope but also because of some of those rough reps I thought Mercedes Lewis was on this team to block wasn't that the idea they brought him in I think he had four snaps maybe five snaps the whole game barely was next to Darnell Wright. They gave Darnell Wright no help. There were no chips, no Mercedes loot. There's nothing. I think I saw one or two plays where they actually gave Wright a little help on pass pro. So they just left him out there and he did okay, but he had ups and he had downs and that's going to be expected. Nate Davis was horrible. I don't know what the case is. Maybe Nate Davis collected his 20 million guaranteed and doesn't give a crap. It's certainly what that feels like. I'm not in the guy's head. I'm not going to say that's what the situation is. I'm saying that's what it feels like because Nate Davis did not practice the entire offseason. And I'm the no, I'm, I know I'm the one that put out that tweet in March with the report that Mike Vrabel did not like him. And 
Furthermore, from what I understand, Mike Vrabel had no interest in even trying to bring him back. They just said, let's just take that money and allocate it elsewhere. And they allocated it to tackle. They didn't want Nate Davis because Mike Vrabel didn't want him on the team anymore. That says something. Mike Vrabel's a good coach. He's a hard ass. He's a pain in the ass. But Mike Vrabel knows what he's doing. And even if he doesn't like a player for a certain reason, if that player is going to help him win, I would think Mike Vrabel would want him on the roster. He did not want Nate Davis on the roster. Nate Davis is getting $10 million a year. Certainly feels like Nate Davis isn't going to be on this team in 2025. Feels like that right now. Now, hopefully, he gets it together, plays a little bit more with Darnell Wright, actually shows up to practice a couple times a week, and we see a much better Nate Davis. The guy's a pro. He was, he was good in Tennessee. That, that's not the issue. But what Nate Davis was yesterday was a pile. Uh, uh, just awful, awful performance. Lucas Patrick, we know Lucas Patrick. He was there last year. He's not good. He's, he's, oh, he's a seventh or eighth offensive lineman, not a starting offensive lineman, but they're stuck with him because Tevin Jenkins is hurt. Now, we knew Tevin Jenkins was going to get hurt. I hate to say it. I love Tevin Jenkins, but he can't stay healthy. Tevin Jenkins, six career games where he played 100% of the offensive snaps. Six. We're in year three with Tev. Tev can't stay on the field. It's a problem. Braxton Jones, you know, I rewatching the game, I, my thought was maybe Cody Whitehair was the best player, even despite some, again, this is really, really hard to pick out. But, you know, when you look at the PFF grades and everything, you know, most I would say think Braxton Jones had the best performance overall. But Braxton Jones had 20 yards of penalties. Two false starts, two holds. One of them, there were multiple people false starting. They gave that to Braxton Jones. But regardless, 30 yards of penalties, crippled drives. So Braxton Jones, I'm not giving him credit for any of his positives that he had when he crippled drives with, with penalties. And they were earned penalties. These weren't ticky-tack, uh, I don't know. He held and blatantly held, had his hand way out there. I mean, you, you just can't do that. The second year in the league, you got to be better. So this entire offensive line played like absolute just garbage. But Luke Getze, Luke Getze, my God, what are you doing, Luke Getze? Do you have any idea? Because I don't think you do. You don't get to run screens and nothing but screens. This isn't Madden football. And even Madden football, the defensive AI is going to figure it out if that's all you're doing. They'll adjust too, even on rookie level. I mean, my God, what is the thought? I get it that Justin Fields need to improve the quick game and the short game. But Justin Fields is a big play hunter, man. You can't take that away from him. You got to tell Justin, first thing you do, look down the field. We're going to have a guy going at least 15 yards down the field every play because that's what you do. And if he's open, rip it, man, and get it to him. And if he's not, look for your check down. And if for some reason the check down's covered or you don't like how that's setting up, use your legs. That's what Justin Fields needs to be doing. You can't neuter him. You can't just sit there and run screens and check downs and just dump it off in the flat. That's not who he is. Why are we turning him into Andy Dalton? Come on. Get the ball down the field. The one thing that Justin Fields had, even though he had some deficiencies in his game, was that he could lead an explosive offense. This offense never had explosive plays under Mitch Trubisky. It is what it is. But Justin Fields brought explosive plays to the Chicago Bears. That's what you need in the modern-day NFL, and he brought that. And, and Getzey took it away. And I hope... This isn't what they want to do with Justin Fields this year to make him a quarterback. I certain, 
I, I can't believe they'd be that dumb, especially when they changed things up last year and gave Fields opportunities to get big plays, and he responded with the New England and, and Miami game and, and some of those games last year. That's, that's the Justin Fields we need to see out there. Yes, he needs to improve in other aspects, but you can't take away what he's good at. I mean, didn't we crush Matt Nagy for trying to make Mitch Trubisky something he wasn't? Now Luke Getzey's doing the same thing. My God, just what a horrible game plan. And another thing Luke Getzey, and I understand you guys have probably heard this already, but I need to get it off my chest because I sat there and I tried to stay calm on Sunday and it's just been festering here for a couple days. DJ Moore touches the ball twice? What are we doing? Design play, DJ Moore should have touched it twice on the opening drive. Not for the entire game, it's ridiculous. It's just a foolish, foolish offensive game plan that you didn't tell Justin, all right, this one's going to DJ or you're running. Like just straight out DJ Moore plays. And DJ Moore, he was open a couple times down the field. Was Justin Fields supposed to be looking there or was that not his first read? That's the thing. If that's not his first read and his first read is the, the, the ball off in the flat and it's there, well, then Fields did what the play is designed to do, but that's a stupid design. So again, we don't know everything. Justin Fields did say afterwards that this was the game plan to keep it short and keep it quick. That's not who Justin Fields is, Luke Getze. You cannot do this. And if you try and play this game against the Bucs defense, they are just going to rip it to pieces. Just rip it to pieces. The offensive line needs to show up it has to show up in a better way next week. They have to have a better game plan for trying to stop the Bucks' pass rush. They have to keep Vita Vea in check inside. They have to keep some of these guys uh, coming off the edge. They got to keep them in check. And it's a good secondary. So Justin Fields is not, is, you know, not going to have wide open guys. He's going to have to thread the needle a few times. He's going to have to work the ball down the field. Because if you try and go short on the Bucks the entire time, you're not going to get enough successful plays to drive the ball down the field. So I hope that they have a better game plan against Tampa because if they don't, they're going to lose that game. They're going to lose to Baker frickin' Mayfield, fall to 0-2. Then they got Pat Mahomes showing up, and, you know, you got to show up in Kansas City. Don't even think there's an opportunity for that. They're 0-3. Season's over. That's it. Your guy that sat there said, they could go 9-8, and sneak into the playoffs. Not if they're 0-3. This team's not going 9-5 and to finish the year. Not a chance. They still have too many holes. So when that's the situation that you're in, you've got to win this game against Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it's week two. It's, it's ridiculous that they're in this situation, and they're in it largely because of how they were coached for that game against Green Bay. And the last thing I'm going to say before we bring on Danny Parkins, you, you can't have a podcast and not talk about Chase Claypool. And the, the, at this point, I mean, it is... The worst trade the Bears have made in several years. No, it is not the worst trade the Bears have ever made because they've had their share of clunkers. But, I mean, it's got to be there with Greg Olson. It's got to be right there at that level. It's, it's, it's on the page. You know, when you write up the top 10 worst trades in Bears history, it's on the page. They gave up what was the 32nd pick for a guy who, who's not even making an effort. He should just be deactivated next week. I'd rather have Valus Jones out there. I'd rather have ESB out there. At least they're going to give an effort. They may not be any good, but they're going to try. And if you try, you're better than what Chase Claypool put out there. 
mean, I heard from someone that was at the game, someone I trust who watches the game closely, said you didn't even see it on the on on the the TV broadcast. But Chase Claypool had a couple meltdowns and tantrums that weren't on the television. So he's back to his old shenanigans. That attitude that Justin Fields said was better, not there. I don't know what's happened. This is his contract year. His career is on the line this year at this point. His career. No, I'm not saying if he has a bad year, he won't be signed. But Chase Claypool, if he if he has a year like this, a couple hundred yards receiving as a complete ass the entire year, and the Bears let him go, he will be signed as like a wide receiver four, wide receiver five, shot in the dark by a team to see if they can get something out of him. He is passing up the chance to make millions of dollars. I, I don't understand this. This is a contract year. He should be motivated to, to get the get a contract. Already because of last year, he's lost the opportunity to make 18, 20, 22 million dollars a year. And if he was as good as his talents, he could be making 25, 27, 28 million dollars a year. But he can get a contract next year for one year for five million dollars, four million dollars. He's going to get nothing because of what he has become. His attitude. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers fans celebrated that trade when the Bears made it. And we're seeing why. This guy does not look like he has any interest in playing football. Does not look like he has any interest in being a part of the Chicago Bears team. And at this point, when you sat there and said the Bears have a great three wide receiver group with Mooney and Moore and Claypool, they don't. They don't have a third wide receiver. Now you sit there and go, if Moore or Mooney get hurt, you're going to have to rely on ESB or Tyler Scott because you can't rely on Chase Claypool. Like, it, I'm out. Like, I'm done. There's, It's over. No interest in having Chase Claypool as part of this team anymore. I know they're stuck with him. I'm not saying they're going to cut him tomorrow. They should. There's no point to have him on the roster. They won't, but they should. But that... That is just a woke, the 32nd pick of the draft for that. He should be embarrassed. Doesn't seem like he is, but he should be. All right. We need something to go right. Maybe Danny Parkins will be able to tell us what can go right because, wow, what a rough performance that was. Danny Parkins joins me next. Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back into the podcast. I love having this guest on. He's been kind enough to join us each season for the last few years. He is the scores, Danny Parkins, of course, host of the afternoon show at Danny Parkins on Twitter slash X. And he joins me now after that woeful performance against Green Bay. Danny, how you doing? Bill, as always, man, good to talk to you. Happy New Year, even if the New Year got, got off to a, a rough start. Oh, it, it, it absolutely did. And I, and I think... That's, you know, kind of start with an kind of an overall vibe before we get into specifics, because there's plenty to get into here. And that's just this, the hope that was finally there, because, you know, I, I've kind of had this thing the last couple of weeks talking about this game going, look, Aaron Rodgers being your opponent was always kind of in the, the, the back of the mindset where if you lost, yeah, it sucked to lose to the Packers, but you shrug your shoulders, goes, you know, he's a top five quarterback of all time. These things happen. What can you do? But when that's gone and you still lose to that same level with Jordan Love, and I understand he had some good statistics, and I'll ask you a little bit about Jordan Love here in a little bit, but to just have that performance against this team yet again, even though 
there were no excuses. There was nothing left to say. It's just as a Bears fan, it's just so deflating. It was awful, man. I mean, some people thought I put too much into the game. I said it the, the day the schedule came out that I hated that they opened with the back. I agree. Totally. You know, I I understood why the league wanted to do it. It was compelling as hell. But it wasn't just that they didn't have Rodgers or Favre, which was a huge piece of it. Like, don't get me wrong. That was a huge piece of it. First time in my lifetime of watching and remembering football. I'm 36 years old that the Packers did not start the season with a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback on their roster. Now, we didn't always know it, right? We didn't know that about Rodgers in 2010. We didn't know that about Favre in 95. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, sure. First time in my life watching football that the Packers, we did not have, and, and I maybe maybe love will be. I certainly hope not, and I don't think so, and we'll get into it. But so there was that huge piece of it. And it's not like the Bears were starting Josh McCown. You know, it's not like the Bears were starting veteran replacement quarterback. We were starting someone that we had legitimate reason to believe could be our guy for the future, who could be a record setter, best quarterback in Bears history, a future MVP, like all all like the hope and excitement for, for Justin Fields, it was like, not only do they not have a guy, but we think we might have a guy. And we think at the very least that our guy should be better than their guy because it's their guy's second start. And it's our guy's 27th or 28th start and his third year in the league and his second year in the system. And he was the 11th overall pick ate all these things. And then for them to blow out the bears and for their guy to unquestionably outplay our guy, and for it to be in week one and for all of the jokes and the banter and like ownership transferred and all of it, it was just, it was sickening. It was, it was sickening. I mean, people talked about the Cordell Stewart opener where they got blown out. People talked about 10 to three in 2019, uh, like, you know, for like bad openers to me, this one was worse because like Cordell Stewart. Yeah. It was more lopsided and you had hoped that the bears had slash, but, like, no one thought that he was going to be the best quarterback in the NFL. We had seen him elsewhere. Not that we think that Fields is going to be the best quarterback in the NFL, but he's at least our guy. He's homegrown. They drafted him. They developed him. They traded up for him. Like, you were invested in him from Jump Street. And then when they lost 10-3, like, yeah, it was a terrible game, and Mitch 2.0 and Nagy 2.0 and all that stuff fell flat, and, like, it clearly didn't happen. But he still lost Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So the, you know, you know. so, so, so this – this was just – and there were still things to like. I mean, you held Aaron Rodgers to 10 points. You were coming off a 12-win season. You're like, oh, the defense is going to still be really good. Like, you know, it was just – to me, this was like the defense sucks. The quarterback might suck. The game plan sucked. The coach sucked. The, the, the evaluator of talent sucked. And they're trying to win. They're not trying to lose. And I, I know I'm rambling here, but, like, that was an avalanche of factors – that made it the most deflating Bears season opener of my lifetime. Yeah, and and here's the thing, Danny, and this is why I'm putting a lot of stock into this game too. And yet, is it worse that it was the Packers and not the Falcons week one? Absolutely, that 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 plays into it. But here's the thing: 
we know that this season wasn't end game for Ryan Poles. This isn't a finished roster. I think he was probably always looking at 2024 as really the first year to really kind of be all in on competing. Yeah. But I think I think the Bears as a franchise and certainly fans were looking at this season as they might be able to sneak out nine wins, sneak into the playoffs, at least be in contention for the playoff spot those last couple of games. So kind of before we get into the specifics of the game, why I'm putting a lot of stock into that game is you've got the Chiefs in week three in Kansas City. If you don't beat Tampa Bay next week now, you're falling to 0-3 almost certainly. And at that point, you can kiss 9-8 and eight goodbye. This team's not going to be good enough to go on some kind of run in the season. I, I hate to say there's must-win games in Week 2, but this, this is set up because of how bad this team played in Week 1. They need to rebound in Week 2, or they are going to start off on a rough, rough way here the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to Arrowhead uh, for for week three. And yeah, I, I don't love their chances there. And this game is obviously a virtual coin flip uh, against Tampa. And I don't think Tampa's particularly good. Uh, they're the worst running team in the league last year. And so maybe they won't be able to exploit one of the Bears' biggest weaknesses, even though statistically they were good against the run. I don't think anyone thinks that they actually were going to shut down the Packers. If Aaron Jones had more than nine carries in that game. So yeah, it's as close to a must win as a week two game uh, can be. Obviously you could squint and say that, well, if the lions could win an arrowhead, why couldn't the bears, right? Like you could, you could talk yourself into some, some crazy things, but man, like to your, to your qualifier at the beginning. And by the way, I think the lions are much better than the bears, but um, the only way that Ryan pulls us all in and thinking that they're competitive next year is if Justin Fields is good. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, so, like, that's the other part of it, too. Like, he did not look good. He did no. not play well. He, and so, he, and so, so, like, now maybe they'll spend more in free agency and they'll they'll have two first-round draft picks and he'll take his own quarterback. But then if they've got a rookie quarterback, they're not going to – we're not going to say that they can compete next year. Yeah, no. Obviously, yeah, the, the plan is – to bring Justin Fields along, obviously after one game, that that's still the plan. They but have it was, it was hit, man. Oh, it, it's it's definitely an issue, and we're we're going to get into it. Um, but let me let me start on the defensive side of the ball. I'm going to spend more time on the offensive side of the ball. But the defensive, you can't ignore the defensive side of the ball, especially Allen Williams. Like, look, everyone that knew an ounce of football looked at this defensive line and goes, "They're not going to be able to rush the passer." And they're really probably not going to be able to stop the run too well either. I know Billings can stop the run and, and, and all that, and, and Gakwe can get after the passer, but not by himself. So you knew the issues with this defensive line. So I, it's a two-part question, but you can answer it at once. The, the two things that, that Allen Williams consistently did here against the Packers that made absolutely zero sense is this defensive line was not going to be able to get pressure on – you have to pressure Jordan Love in, in his first start this season, second start ever. You have to do it. You're not going to get pressure with that group of four just running straight up, you know, pass rush, no stunts, barely any blitzes. And to the secondary is supposed to be the strength here. You know, the back seven is supposed to be the strength of this defense to play these soft zones, practically prevent defenses on third down. You know, the, the these, yeah, Jordan Love had great third down statistics, but some of these passes felt like Mitch Trubisky against the Bucks in 2018. They were open by 10 yards, Danny. It, 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 you know, yes, love, you know, made the read and made the delivery, but there was, he did not have to thread the needle. This defense effort and the calls that Williams was making were mind boggling to me. 
It was pathetic, man. And and I I admire your ability to put it squarely on Allen Williams. Well, I'm putting it only on Allen Williams, but what? he he definitely played into it. What does Matt Eberflus do? Oh well, I'm gonna get into Eberflus. Hulk, this was such a coaching collapse from top all the way through. This team was so ill prepared to play in Week One against your rival. I, it's unbelievable to me. But my, but my but my point is when we have offensive head coaches and the offense sucks, we blame the head coach. We don't blame the offensive coordinator. Well, and that's true. But I mean, he's as a far defensive as- head coach who brought in Allen Williams, and I don't understand what Matt Eberflus's edge for this team is. Like last year, they were one of the least penalized teams in football. Okay, they seemed to not quit on a season in which they went three and fourteen. Okay, but they went three and fourteen. They did not overachieve. And yes, they were bad by design and they traded Robert Quinn and they traded Roquan Smith. And I get all of that. But they were 30th or worse in every defensive category that matters last year. Pressure rate, sack rate, DVOA against the pass, DVOA against the run. I mean, they were, they were the worst defense in football. So, like, he didn't overachieve when he had nothing last year. And he has things. They... The top two draft picks of two drafts ago are defensive players. Yep. Gordon and Brisker. Three of the top four picks of this year's draft, Dexter, Pickens, and Stevenson, are defensive players. The biggest free agent contract, Edmonds, defensive player. One of the biggest free agent contract, Edwards, defensive player. Like $10 million to Yannick Ngakwe, defensive player. Like, Like, I know he doesn't have his three technique. I know that they didn't draft Jalen Carter, even though I wanted him to. I I, I know they didn't uh, go after, even though I understood investing in fields and surrounding. I, I understood the the macro plan for that. Uh, I know they tried to get him Ogan Joby and he failed the physical. Fine, you don't want to spend money for a dude who ends up being hurt. Get it? But like, what does he do? No, and I I think that I think that's a fair question, Danny, because. I mean, when you and I was bringing up Williams more because, you know, he's as far as I know, he's the one calling in those defensive plays. And, and, and you're, were, and you're, and you're right, but they have a game plan. Right. And Eberflus obviously signs off on that game plan. And even the the the, the small thing like, look, and, and I understand he's he's a polls project uh, and, and polls likes, you know, what his his traits. Dominic Robinson should not be playing. He, he offers nothing. And I understand there's not much back there. And look, I understand it was preseason and Terrell Lewis, there's a reason he's not on the Rams anymore. He at least had an ability to get to the quarterback. And none of these guys do. You know, D- you know, Demarcus Walker can do it a little bit from the interior. He can't do it from the edge. Dominic Robinson can't do it from the edge. Rasheen Green's a run stopper. You know, Matt Eberflus, for some reason, and this goes back to Indianapolis, has no interest in pass rushers. I don't understand why. It's a critical part of the game. It, it was it was frustrating for me from day one when they hired him because I knew that was going to be an issue on how he constructs his defense. I know, like you said, the three-tech isn't there. But, but my God, when you're investing as much as he has on the defensive side of the ball – and yeah, do you have warts with the with the defensive line? Absolutely. But you're a defensive head coach. You know, when when Matt Nagy was botching things, it was like, you know, it doesn't matter if if uh, what's his name? The Bengals, uh, the offense. Bill Lazor. Bill Lazor. Thanks. It doesn't matter if Bill Lazor's calling the plays and things are getting, a, 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 you know, modicumly better. This is your offense, Matt Nagy. It needs to go. And, and with Matt Eberflus, it, it's not just 
you know, how poorly this this defense is set up because you're a defensive head coach. You have enough talent here that you should overcome any deficits you have at this point, and he clearly isn't. But the fact that this team, to me, really wasn't prepared to play, and I don't know how serious these injuries were in training camp. You know, we get no information about any of this. Was everyone banged up? Were they just stubbed toes? Were they resting? Like, it doesn't matter what the reasonings were, whether they were legitimate or, or being soft. I know that's not how training camp was a year ago. But this team was not prepared to play, and that's on the head coach. Yeah, I think – I mean, and and some of us said it immediately. The hits principle sounds great, but how long can you get away with that with professional athletes? You know, like when you're not just like a bunch of like try hard, new guy, new system, new program – bunch of dudes who like really aren't in the league, aren't high caliber players. Like that message, because we didn't hear a lot from him about the hits principle this year when he's talking to the media in camp. And they were not smart situationally. They did not have the takeaways. They were not a, a low penalized team in that game. So Brian Dable, Mike McDaniel, other guys who were hired in his hiring cycle. Like I admit I didn't like the hire simply because he was a defensive coach. I, it was pretty black and white to me. I think it's crazy to not hire an offensive head coach in the modern NFL. I agree. Like, I just think it's crazy. Like, and people are like, well, what about John Harbaugh? Okay, fine. We can argue exceptions. You know, you know, Bill Belichick isn't available. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Mike, Mike Tomlin's not available. Like, and by the way, look at some of the performances that the Steelers have had when they've actually made the playoffs recently and the quarterbacks that they've lost to and given up 30-plus to. Like, you know, yeah, I mean, and it's interesting. You're bringing up coaches that were basically hired before we entered this era of football that's and, what I'm and, are, and are carrying over because they are just great head coaches. Yeah, and, and, and Mike Vrabel maybe is an exception, you know. Um, I'm not saying it can't work, but it's much, much, much more difficult to have a difference-making head coach who isn't also a great offensive head coach and play caller. So, yeah, I didn't like it, and I yeah. still don't like it. All right, now let's get to the offensive side of the ball because, I mean, there's there's so many problems here. I, I don't even know where to start. But let's start at the top, and let's start with Luke Getze. And, yeah, you can say, you know, Matt Eberflus signed off on this game plan and all, and I'm sure was involved. No, 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 this no, is, no, no. This is I'm, Luke Getze's offense. Uh, it's Getze's offense. It's, it's Getze's, Getze's offense. And, I mean, Field said it after the game. He goes, this was the game plan. We were going to keep it short and quick. We weren't going to push the ball down the field. Why that was the case, I don't know. I mean, I don't understand how when you have success last year letting Justin Fields be who he is and you see these performances that he had against you know New England and Miami and these type of performances, to take away basically everything that he is. And I get he needed to improve in this aspect to be a more well-rounded quarterback and, and have a better passing attack. I, I get that. But you can't have screens be the principal part of your offense. You, you, you know, your screens only work if you can get the ball down the field and you can keep the defense on its toes. You know, I made the joke on Twitter. It was just like the Madden AI figured out that all you were going to do is screens. Fields look good at the beginning of the game because that's all they were doing. Once the Packers adjusted to that, they, they didn't push the ball down the field at all. Like, I it's can't. Like when they threw a touchdown pass. Yeah, right. It was, you know, two for three on, on passes down the field. It, it, unbelievable. The two things about what Luke Getze did that are unbelievable to me, and it doesn't seem like it was on Fields. It, you know, like Fields said afterwards, this is what we wanted to do. But the two, the, the amount of screens and quick game and, and check downs 
that was the key part of this offense. And you traded away the number one pick in the draft for a wide receiver. I get it. You got a first round pick and another second round pick. You could have gotten a second first round pick for that pick, but you told the Carolina Panthers, no, we want DJ Moore. And I'm all for it. They got to, they figured out a way to get a wide receiver one. They figured out a guy to get that legitimate weapon for, for Justin Fields. And then you give him the ball twice. It, it, how is that a game plan, Danny? I, I don't, I don't get it. No, it was horrifying. It, it, it made, it made, it made no sense. And my big thing on the show on Monday was like, are they coaching Justin Fields out of Justin Fields? Uh, that's again, that's what it feels like. And, but that's insane because so my working theory, the DJ Moore thing is indefensible. Obviously it's completely ridiculous. Um, if, Justin, because we a lot of people said he's got to hit his check down. Don't just take off and run. You got to hit your check down. There's a safety valve on every play. Hit your check down. Make your layups, right? Get the easy ones. So that was the big thing that he worked on all offseason. The release, the footwork. Don't don't spike the the snap throws into the ground and throw guys at people's feet. Like things that we saw like too often last year, right? He would make the unbelievable play, but he would miss the layups. Sure. So hit the layups, hit the layups, take your free throws, make the easy ones, make the easy ones, find the check down, the check down, the check down, the check down, the check down. Oh, that's great. It's great. But it was supposed to be additive. It wasn't supposed to be instead of. And I wonder, similarly to what happened with Mitch, and not that Mitch was ever going to be great. I don't think he had the post-snap processing. But, like, Mitch was a mobile athletic dude. And they're like, got to do it from the pocket. Got to get the ball. Got to do it from the pocket. Got to do it from the pocket. Gotta do it. And then all of a sudden, like, they stopped, like, doing what he was naturally good at. And then he didn't know when to run. He didn't know when to move. And he was chaotic. I feel like Fields passed up open downfield plays. And a lot of the, you know, the amateur film guys on Twitter have done a great job of putting out the, the clips since the game where DJ Moore is open more than 10 yards the feet, down the field. And yet it's on fields because Getsy makes the play call. Uh, Moore runs the route. He's open. I don't think that Justin Fields is blind and I know he's not dumb. I don't think it's that he doesn't see it. I think that he has overcorrected to be conservative to just take the check down, take the yards that are there. Don't run. And maybe that can be corrected with film review between week one and week two. But I worried that they coached this like hyper aggressive touchdown to check down quarterback out of him. And he's now gun shy. I'd rather him have a Jameis Winston season where he had 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. Because then at least he's letting it fly. Right. And he's gripping it and ripping it. And he's taking and he's you know, he's trusting his natural athletic abilities. And then you can rein in the reading of the defenses and all that, but to like make him a check down artist is criminal given his arm strength and big playability. And then the one other thing that you didn't mention, and I know a lot of his heroics came on the improvisations and the tuck and runs and Jalen Johnson pushed back on me on this a little bit. I'm sorry, man. He can't have one called design run in a game. Agreed. And it'd be fourth and inches on a sneak and a push under center. 
I know that he wants to, doesn't want to run for a thousand yards anymore. And I know it's week one and I know you want to save him and all of that. And like Josh Allen only runs in the playoff games. And like, I, I, he's not Josh Allen yet. You got Lamar Jackson in his prime. Like he, it can't be seven tuck and runs, one designed run and half of those tuck and runs, three or four of them came in garbage time when it was late and he was getting desperate. It's insane. It's it's like buying a Lamborghini and then only driving it to the supermarket in the suburb suburban town on twenty five mile an hour roads. Right. Let him go. Yeah. You 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 can't. What Justin Fields brought to the Bears, which we had just not seen under Trubisky, was was the explosive play that it's so important in today's NFL and fields could do it with his legs and with his arm. And I get it. There was no in between and they needed to figure that out and they needed to teach that to him. And that's fine, but, but I'm with you. And hopefully this was just some sort of table setter. So fields understood how to do this and they wanted him to execute it and they're going to open things back up. But, but if they don't at this point, cause you know, Danny, before we kind of get into to love and, and wrap things up here, Justin Fields, this is such a critical season for him. And if he has performances like this, and, and let's be honest, that second half looked a lot like he, his play in 2022. It was, it was very comparable, this same kind of style, running, you know, just not getting much done with the arm. I mean, we, 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 knew, we know what that offense is. To, to just know how important this, this season is for Fields and the future of this rebuild, that, that Ryan Poles has set up, like we talked about earlier, for 2024, it, you know, it, you don't want to be sitting here in week seven at covering this team going, what are they going to do with, with Justin Fields? Is, are they going to try and commit to him one more year? Is it time to, to get off? Like, to have no answer this year, a quarterback, would be absolutely the worst thing that could happen to this franchise. It's insane. And, like, why do you think they did it? Like, do, do, do you think it was he's got to be a pocket passer to stay healthy so we're going to keep him in the pocket and we don't trust the offensive line and we're going to just get the ball out quick? Like, because they should know then that, that Chase Claypool's not good at blocking on these wide receiver screens if they practiced at all. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it just didn't seem at all like they were playing. It's not like they were giving it to Percy Harvin out there. You know what I mean? Like they, they have, there's nothing that's been proven that they're even going to be really good at that aspect of football. But Justin Fields can be great at what he does. So I just – I really hope that it was a terrible game plan and some of the things in film review, they're like, oh, right, it's not that complicated of a game. Khalil Herbert has more running lanes when Justin Fields runs the ball. Justin Fields is a better passer. Like, that's the other thing that, like, the analytics community, and I love all the analytics stuff, and I watch the All-22 and rewatch the game. You know what I mean? I love all that stuff. But the one thing that, like, that doesn't get unless you actually watch the dude play football, he very clearly gets into a rhythm and gets going Absolutely. when he – takes a hit when he makes a run when he can do his little cool two finger first down you know what I mean like he's a rhythm player and to take that part away from his game and make him conservative is just 
It's criminal. And listen, the offensive line was terrible. He was pressured on more than 50% of his snaps. Yeah, hor- horrible play. You know what I mean? Horrible. And so like, if that's going to be the case, then he then he is going to need to run for his life, and it is going to be a repeat uh, of last year, hopefully with it being a little bit better because you've got DJ Moore and Mooney's healthy and, and all of that stuff. But he uh, he was bad. Fields was bad. Uh, but I thought he was let down by Luke Getze, and I thought he was let down by his offensive line. And I didn't want to be saying that again after last year. No, it, it's just it, it's just brutal that that we're still at this point, and that the offensive line. You know, we don't need to get into it too much because it was just it, it was flat bad. This is the group you can't rely on Tevin Jenkins. Hopefully that, that there's improvement. I mean, you know, Braxton Jones, besides the penalties, looks like he had a decent game. Nate Davis, who hasn't played, you know, basically since January or December, really, basically, you know, he was not ready to play. I'm not sure that you can play Lucas Patrick against Vita Vea. Oh, God, that, that's a terrifying thought. I'm not I'm not sure. I think it might have to be Whitehair at center or Feeney. And I think like it'd Feeney. be Feeney. I think that's what they would do. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I, I, I don't. I'm not sure that Lucas Patrick can can play against Vita Vea. That just seems like it would be unfair to all the ball. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before I get to your thought on Jordan Love and let you go, Chase Claypool. At this point, I mean, do you just start deactivating the guy? I mean, he is a complete liability out there. He doesn't seem interested in being out there. I'm shocked. Like, look, I get the issues with Chase Claypool. There were a reason Steelers fans were rejoicing when this trade went down. They did not want him on the roster. The, the, the Steelers can get the most out of these type of guys with volatile personalities, and they had had enough with Chase Claypool. I, I get all this, but in a contract year, I really thought he was going to focus. I really thought he was going to try and get the most out of his ability and get a contract, whether it was in Chicago or someplace else. But but at this point, Danny, I mean, I have this guy was checked out from from the start. And I, I just, you know, after a half a season last year in this first game, I just don't see any any path for him to be a viable contributor here after giving up the 32nd pick for the guy. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the uh, a couple of things like Jalen Johnson on the show was actually really interesting. He was like on those wide receiver screens, there's more to it and you can't block too early and it's a big timing thing. And he was making some excuses for, for some of that stuff. Maybe that's true. Maybe he's just not good at it. Equinemia St. Brown's a very good blocker as a wide receiver. Maybe, but then maybe it telegraphs the play call even more. If Equinemia St. Brown is out there, I'd certainly like to, to see it tried. Um, I'd be fine with deactivating him. I'd be fine with anything. He's clearly not a bear long-term. It's clearly a sunk cost at this point. It was a terrible trade. I hated the trade in the moment. It's just it, awful. But I am interested in the human side of like, are you okay? Like, are you the first NFL player ever not motivated by money? Like, <laughs> you know, it, it is a contract year. Right. And you were noticeably on many times not running your route at full speed and whiffing on blocks and seemingly not giving 100% effort on blocks. Like, is something wrong? Like, you know, like on, a, on like a human, are you distracted? Is there something going on at home? Is, 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 what, what is wrong? Because if there if, if nothing's wrong and that was his best effort and he's not prepared to give a better effort in a contract year, well then yeah, just cut him. But I think that that that, 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 that have you ever known an NFL player who hasn't made hundreds of millions of dollars to not be motivated by money? No, yeah, that's the thing. These type of these type of efforts happen after the guaranteed money's already kicked that's in. What I'm so like it, it made so little sense. 
that I almost am like, I'm almost like more interested in Chase Claypool now than, than I was before the game. Because I, I, like you, thought that we were going to get the best version of him, whatever that was. And I don't believe that that was the best version no, of him. No, it can't be. It can't because it can't be, right? Right? I mean, the guy's 6'4", 240. <laughs> um, so, so now I'm almost more interested uh, because it just it made such little sense. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. And we'll, we'll see where this goes. But before we wrap up here, Jordan Love – just kind of give me your thoughts on what you thought of him. Obviously, he's you know going to be out there for at least the next couple of years, if not the next ten years, as as the Packers quarterback. Had some bad throws, made some good decisions. You know, got got a couple plays. I I, I thought the stats were better than he what he actually was like at quarterback. But you know, if I was a Packers fan, I'd be pleased with that as as the first start of the season. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Yeah, a win in Soldier Field as an underdog with no turnovers and 245 passing yards and three touchdowns. I would hope they would be happy with that. You would think so. Yeah, you would think. Um, I was obviously disgusted by the entire thing, but I don't think that if they were playing that Cowboys pass rush that we saw on Sunday Night Football, it would have gone as well for him, right? Like, And by the way, but, but we do have to give him a ton of credit he did it without Christian Watson. Yeah. Like, what would we be saying about if Justin Fields just didn't have DJ Moore in that game? And he's made 27 starts in the league, you know? Right. But for it to be his second start in the league, in as good as Soldier Fields can be in a non-night game, non-playoff game experience, like, that was that place was rocking. The, I, I said on the show the only people who did their jobs on Sunday were Roshan Johnson and Bears fans. I thought Bears fans were great. Like the place was rocking to start. They booed in the second quarter. It was rocking to start the second half. And then they booed for basically the entirety of the second half until they left to beat the traffic. Like <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever identified more with bears fans than their performance in that game on Sunday. Um, but I thought that Jordan love was poised as evidenced by the third and fourth down numbers. I thought his release was pretty damn fast. Um, so I, but I thought his accuracy left some things to be desired. So I don't, th- I don't think he was special. Um, but did I see, like, I was hoping that he was going to be a dumpster fire, like wrapped around a train wreck and they'd have five years of five different starters and then find their guy. Who's like Derek Carr, Kirk cousins or right. Daniel Jones. And like, what have been nice, <laughs> good enough to pay and not great. It feels like they might have just gone from first ballot Hall of Famer to first ballot Hall of Famer to a guy who will be a serviceable to above average starter for eight to ten years, which also sucks because they they deserve so much less than that. Yeah, they do. But I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, after seeing Hackett last year and seeing what Getsy's putting here with the Bears, Matt Lafleur is really good at his job. Yeah, <laughs> yes, really good at his job. <laughs> really good. Yeah. No, but I I know. But so it's like okay. So I got to be jealous of the Packers for like for their stadium and their head coach and their quarterback lineage and their number one corner. And it's like enough. Why couldn't they just why couldn't he be Tim Couch? Right. Just you know what I mean? What? Why? Why? Why does he have to also like? I don't know. Mike McDaniel. There were bad quarterbacks for good offensive coaches. You know? Like, 
Yeah, like like Mike Tomzak started the last game for the Packers before the Favre Rogers era. Why why couldn't it just be back to that for just a little bit? Yeah, and to your point, like maybe Lafleur would have made Mike Tomzak into Derek Carr, but like I don't know. There are some guys who it doesn't matter how good the coaching is, they still suck. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like that's this. No, that, it doesn't. Unfortunately, that's really annoying. <laughs> All right, well What's there he is. Your hair, by the way. What's that? What's going on with your hair? Yeah, I forgot to put a little product in it. It keeps flopping. I, I got to get it cut. This is just a giant mop on top of the head. Here. Yeah, but it's, it's like it's 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 like not a full. Yeah, it over. like wants to come like down straight like this. It just yeah, it does, it's just a problem. This it's like what a happens front, when you, it's like a front rat tail. This is what happens when you're five minutes in and staring at yourself in the video, going, "Oh man, I didn't fix that before." Something weird has been happening with your hair. <laughs> the whole recording, and I. I mean, the beard is so good. Like, I, what, like you don't want to know the number. It's a disgusting number. And I'm not rich, but it's a disgusting number that I would give to be able to grow in, like, connective, hide my double chin, real man facial hair. It's five figures. So for you to have that level of facial hair and have that stuff going on up top, you got to get your shit right and you'll be great. Yeah, the, the, the hair is definitely a problem. But, yeah, I, the beard's only existed for about three years. I was always clean-shaven before that. But, yeah, the hiding of the double chin, it, it does great for the face. It really It's does. unbelievable. Like, <laughs> dude, I would be – I'd be on television if I could grow your facial hair. <laughs> With these takes, I'd be the, on TV. The takes are great. That's why we have you on every year. I know because it's a podcast. <laughs> There he is at Danny Parkins on Twitter slash X. And of course, catch him afternoons on the score. Always a great listen to Danny. And thanks for so much time. Really enjoyed the conversation. And, and hopefully the next time you come on this podcast, we have positive things to talk about. Yeah, it'd be a first. Uh, <laughs> see you, Bill. Thank you as always. There he is. Danny Parkins of the score, everybody. You can just, t- Dan- Danny's frustrated. And, and And how can you not be? How can you not be? I mean, I'm not saying the Bears had to win that game. They should have won that game. I expected them to win that game. But what they produced, just what what the problem is, it just, you you feel deflated because you, I understand it's just one game. I get it. But you just feel like the hope that you had for what this team could have been this year is gone. You just, you just feel like, all right, they're going to go six and 11. You know, you know, they'll win some games. They're not going two and fifteen, but you know, there's there's really nothing to be excited about. And, and to me, it feels like this whole everything's getting bumped down a year kind of thing. Because, you know, like I said, if they start off 0-3, you're talking about this just becomes another developmental year. And next year becomes the year where they start putting things together and they're not competing until 2025. And if Justin Fields isn't the guy and they move on from Fields, that's going to be an extra year of development. You're talking earliest 2026. I mean, that's the kind of thing. It, you, that's why it gets so disheartening so quickly when you're a, you know, pervert, or you're a bad team every year. Is that you sit there and you play the time, you put the timeline in your head about when this team can get good. Unless you're just a rah-rah guy and it doesn't matter who you, you, you put out there. You just expect the Bears to be good every year because you're a Hope Springs eternal guy. I wish I had that attitude. I wish I had that personality that I could sit there and just be like, oh, the defensive line's going to surprise people. And Gokwe's going to have a dozen sacks. Dominic Robinson's going to break out. Uh, I wish I could just have that 
positivity every offseason that things were just going to get good for the Chicago Bears. But the problem is, I'm a Chicago Bears fan, and I've seen what they've done for 30 years of football. And so, therefore, you expect the crap instead of the success, because that's what the precedents have taught us. So it's a rough situation, and now they've got a huge game this week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I have very little faith that they can successfully navigate this game for a victory. The Bucs, if you take away quarterback, everywhere else, the Bucs have a better roster. I'm not saying they are better at every position, but top to bottom, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a better roster than the Chicago Bears. So if Baker Mayfield has all day to throw like Jordan Love did, then suddenly Baker Mayfield can play, be an all-pro level quarterback. Because any of these guys, you give them five seconds to throw the football, they're going to get the ball to an open receiver. Especially if it's consistent. Not just like one time where at about three seconds they start getting happy feet because they think they're about to get hit. No, if they feel like they can be back there five, sec five seconds, six seconds every drop back, they will have confidence and they will stand in the pocket and deliver the football. And Baker Mayfield can do that if you give him that much time. If you give Baker Mayfield two and a half seconds, he can't do that. And that's why Baker Mayfield's bouncing around the league after just a few years. But Baker Mayfield, if the Bears don't dial up some pressure and get to him, he's going to pick apart this defense. There's no reason why he can't. And this defense is a pretty good defense still. They've got players who can play. Vita Vey is going to eat this interior offensive line up. So if they don't put together a better game plan, if they don't dial up some pressure, if, if Getze doesn't figure out better ways to utilize Justin Fields' arm talent and leg talent against this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, they're going to fall to 0-2. And right now, if I'm making a prediction, and we know you know that's how I finish every one of these podcasts, I give you a prediction. I have no faith that the Chicago Bears will do that because I have no faith in this coaching staff right now. And there is no reason to have faith in this coaching staff because there was no faith to have in this coaching staff last year. You give them a pass because of how bad the team was, but you didn't sit there and say they overachieved or they accomplished something because of the coaching. There was nothing, none of that, but you give them a pass. But now, after another game, you have to look at this coaching staff and go, they don't know what they're doing. At this point, they need to prove me wrong because there is nothing that they have done in 18 games to show that they're good. Luke Getze had Justin Fields perform for a few games. His second half was better than his first half. If you want to hang your hat on that for Luke Getze, you go ahead. I'm not going to do it. But the offensive line never overachieved. The defensive line certainly hasn't overachieved. The secondary hasn't overachieved. They haven't overachieved in wins. They haven't overachieved anywhere, and that's where coaching comes in. So until I see this coaching staff prove to me that they are an NFL-level coaching staff, and they have not proven that, I am going to pick against the Chicago Bears. A better roster against the Tampa Bay Bucks, despite having a lesser quarterback. But because I don't trust Allen Williams and Matt Eberflus to get to Baker Mayfield, he's going to have enough time to pick apart this Bears defense. And I don't think the Bears are going to do particularly well this week because there's no reason to think they will. So my final score here, 27 to 17 in favor of Tampa. I hate, I hate that I'm picking at that because... At the beginning of the year, when I said the Bears were going to go 8-9, I had them starting the year off 2-0. And now I have them starting off 0-2. Does that mean I think they're going to be 6-11? No. 
because there were some toss-up games later in the year. I had them lose. You got to be fair. But this team is headed in the wrong direction. And if they lose this game, they're 0-3. Because th- you can't go into Arrowhead and beat Patrick Mahomes with, with this the way this team is playing. That's going to be a brutal game. Brutal. They could lose that game by four touchdowns, the way this is going. You want to say I'm overreacting over one game? You go ahead. And you want to tweet at me at Bill T. Zimmerman and tell me I'm an idiot? Go ahead. But then I will hold on to those receipts until after this game. You can hold on to these receipts as well. But I am not. I am not in a positive mindset for this Tampa game. I, I just do not think it's going to go well. So I'm going Tampa 27, Bears 17. I hope I'm wrong. We'll see next week. Sylvie's scheduled to join me. Another great guest next week. Bear it out, everybody. Talk to you soon. Adios. Adios.